My guest today says that the reason many Christians battle with sin, struggle, shame, and Satan is because they have never heard the true gospel. Hmm. Renowned Bible teacher Andrew Womack is here with me to explain what he means. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the app Shut Up Devil. I am all about shutting down the lies and struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life. And I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. So if you haven't yet, join me live sometime on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. Okay, I am honored to bring you a very special conversation with one of the world's leading Bible teachers, Andrew Womack. Andrew is the president of Andrew Womack Ministries, which broadcasts his gospel truth program on TV all around the world every single day. He's authored more than 40 books, and he's the founder of Karis Bible College. I pray you enjoy our conversation today. Well, I want to get right into that quote that I mentioned in the introduction. You say in your book that many people around the world who have embraced Christianity have never heard the true gospel preached. And you're talking about Christians there. So two questions to start off with. If people haven't heard the true gospel, what have they heard And then what is the true gospel? Quick answer is that what is called the gospel today is basically just anything to do with Christianity. For instance, people will stand up and say, you're going to hell, repent or else, turn or burn. And then they'll say, that's the gospel. No, that's not the gospel. I mean, those are true statements that there is a hell and people have to repent. The word gospel means good news. And I believe in Paul's time, the word gospel or the Greek word that we translate as gospel, it was only used twice outside of the Bible in all Greek literature that we have. It was a rare word because it meant really more than just good news. It was nearly too good to be true news. Mm. Gospel in a nutshell is not only that there's a God and a hell and that you've got to repent and be born again, but it's specifying the way you receive that salvation. And it's not through our performance or good works. It's through the grace of God. The only thing we contribute is, first of all, our sins. We have to admit that we're a sinner. And then we have to believe on Jesus as our Savior. And it's faith that produces relationship with God, not performance. And I'm sure as you well know, Kyle, there's a lot of quote unquote Christians who are working their fingers to the bone trying to earn God's favor and that's not the gospel. So there's a difference. Yeah, I think that everything in this world, as we know, is so performance-based. I mean, from, from little on, everything is due to get, achieved to succeed, so much so that it's just default thinking for most of us, I think, to treat our relationships with God as we have to behave in a certain way in order for Him to accept us, in order for Him to love us. I know it was for me. I mean, When I became a Christian at 16 years old, I really, even though I believe that Jesus died for my sins and all of that, I really took it more as a self-help program, as a way of applying spiritual principles to get myself good enough that maybe I'd be on the right track, the straight and narrow with him. So it took really a crisis moment for me, a real revelation to realize that It's not about what I do, but it's about what Jesus has already done. I wonder, Andrew, did you have a moment like that that led you 
into the grace message? I certainly did. And I got born again when I was eight years old. And then I went to church. And just like you said, Kyle, I don't know if it's, I think it is said, but whether it was said or it's the way I took it, I thought that God loved me proportional to how holy I lived. And I started living holier than anybody I knew. You know, I just turned 72 years old and I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never used a word of profanity. I've never tasted coffee. (laughs) I mean, I lived the most separated life I possibly could, but without realizing it, I became a religious Pharisee. Yeah. I thought that God owed me something because I was doing all of the things that I was told. So on March the 23rd, 1968, I was in a prayer meeting at 10 o'clock at night, Saturday night. That gives you an indication of yeah. religious I was. And on a Saturday night, an 18-year-old was praying at 10 o'clock. At <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, probably in 10. there. So anyway, we were praying. And it's a long story, but God showed up. And God showed me what an absolute hypocrite I was and how my motives were all wrong, that everything I did was for the praise of men. And I honestly thought that when, I mean, I saw the glory of God, Kyle. I don't have the words to describe it. Yeah. I saw how holy and perfect God was. All of my righteousness was like filthy rags. And all of my goodness that I had learned to trust in just went out the window. And I thought that God was going to kill me. Yeah. And before he killed me, I was going to confess every sin that I had or ever would commit. And I turned myself inside out. And like I said, I hadn't done a lot of the physical things. I hadn't physically committed adultery, but Jesus said, if you've lusted in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. So I started confessing lusting and I was naming names. (laughs) And this was in the youth group. I mean, whatever reputation I had, I lost it. And after I had spent an hour and a half just turning myself inside out, I had nothing left to say, and I was just a puddle of tears on the floor, and nobody else knew what to say. It was stunned silence in that prayer meeting. And instead of God's wrath, mm-hmm. I, supernatural love of God just come over me that lasted for about four and a half months. Yeah. And I was just caught up in the love of God. So all that to say that I had a a miraculous encounter with God where just instantaneously my self-righteous bubble got popped. And I knew that I didn't have any standing before God based on my goodness. And I experienced God's love by grace. Yeah. But I didn't understand it. It took me a number of years to get enough understanding to start walking it. But that experience just so radically changed me that it started me on that path towards grace. That's so similar to my experience. It wasn't in a church building, but it was in my living room where I was reduced to tears as just the magnitude of everything from life was over me. But God led me to a vision of the finished work of the cross, where I realize it's nothing about anything I've done or failed to do. It's all about what Jesus has done. And I know that sounds repetitive at times. It's about what Jesus has done. And I think as Protestants, most of us would say that we know that. I mean, one of the key tenets of Protestantism, at least, is 
grace alone, you know, Martin Luther, that was kind of the revelation that he got that kick-started the whole Reformation, is he didn't have to beat himself up anymore like he used to be doing, but Jesus did it all. But though, though we have that foundation of understanding, I would say most people watching, most people who are Christians today, still have that performance-based aspect to their relationship with God. What would be some indicators that might awaken people to realize that I'm, I'm, I'm performing for God and not receiving what he's done? In my meetings, I often pray for the sick or whatever their needs are. And I have people come up and say, I don't know why God hadn't healed me. I know that by his stripes I'm healed. I fasted. I prayed. I studied the word. I paid my tithes. I go to church. What they do is show me all of the things that they've done think that God owes them a healing. But people don't come up and say, I don't understand why I'm not healed because I know it's all Jesus and it has nothing to do with me. They don't approach me that way. They start mentioning their goodness. Kyle, if I was to have a word of knowledge, say, for instance, and say, well, God showed me that you sinned on the way to church or something, most people would just instantly say, well, I know why God is going to heal me now. But if came for salvation, and if God showed me, you're an adulterer. And if they truly understood grace, the gospel, they would say, that's why I need to be saved. That sin wouldn't keep them from getting saved. It would cause them to throw themselves on the mercy of God. But somehow or another, after people get born again, they think they're saved by grace, but now they're maintained by performance. Yeah. And they earn God's goodness. And so those are some of the symptoms that if a person would just do an inventory, I think most people are living by performance. Yeah. So if somebody says, just for some examples here, I have to read 10 minutes of the Bible every day in order to be a good Christian. What do you say to that? I'd say that that's religious. <laughs> when I first got turned on to the Lord, I heard a guy say that you need to pray in tongues an hour a day. Yeah. I thought, well, if praying in tongues an hour a day is good, well, then two hours would be better. Three There's always two. something better. Right. So I, I started setting a clock, an alarm. <laughs> and I would pray from seven till nine. And it, it became religious and it was hard to do. And so anyway, one morning I was reading the Bible and praying. And God was just speaking to me and I was having a great time. But it was about 15 minutes till seven. And I thought, oh, God, you know, I'm going to have to go into this prayer time. And I said, well, you know, my thoughts anyway. So I just told him, I said, I'm sorry, but I dread this prayer time where I have to pray from seven till nine. And I said, I'm sorry to admit it, but that's the way that it is. And he spoke to me and he said, don't worry, Andrew, I go to dreading it at 630. <laughs> I thought, well, if God dreads it, if he's not enjoying this, and if I'm not enjoying it, why am I doing it? And so I quit that. Now I just commune with the Lord all the time. And nothing wrong with Bible study and prayer. All of those things are good. But if you do it in order to something from God, that changes it from something that is a reaction of love, and it turns it into what the Bible works, which you cannot relate to God that way. So it's not a have to do with God. It's a get to do. It's, it's something that we react out of our love for him, not out of this is going to make him love us more or less. What about somebody says then, if I don't go to church, I'm going to hell? Well, you don't go to hell for not going to church. 
think you're stupid if you don't go to church. But the point I'm making is God loves you, stupid. He does not relate to you based on your church attendance, Bible study, prayer. The only thing that makes us accepted with God is whether we receive Jesus as our Lord. Now, all of that being said, now some people will take a statement like that and say, so you grace preachers are just encouraging sin or doing There are still consequences to sin. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So if you go out and live in sin, it's But God still loves you. You can't do anything to make God love you more, and you can't do anything to make God love you less. But there's things you can do that will make you love God more And there's things you can do that will make you love God less. And so I still believe in living a holy life and studying the word and praying, but not in order to get God to love me. I do it to get me to love God and to keep my heart pure before God. So it's not performing, behaving, modifying everything in your life in order to be blessed by God, to be healed by God, to be delivered by God, or anything by God. That's right. And... Let me add this, Kyle, that anybody who thinks that, no, you still have to do this. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 10 says, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. Any person who believes that you have to perform in order for God to answer your prayers and stuff, they are trying to obtain perfection and you aren't perfect. And if you miss it in one point, you know, if a person was driving and say they had just come from committing adultery, and if they had a car wreck and died in the car wreck and didn't have time to repent, there's many Christians that would say, you'd go to hell because you had a sin in your life and didn't get it confessed. But if you go 56 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone, that's also breaking the law. And that verse says if you keep the whole law and yet in one point you become guilty of all. So are you willing to say that if you go 56 miles an hour and have a car wreck and die, that you go to hell because you didn't have time to confess it? See, most people would say, oh, well, no. And what they have to do is start categorizing sins and saying, well, adultery and maybe murder. Those are things that will destroy you. But little sins, just lying, going over the speed limit, not keeping your word. Those things are acceptable. They aren't acceptable with God. And see, this is what God showed me that night, Kyle. He showed me that I was living outwardly a better life than anybody that I knew, but inwardly all of sin and come short of the glory of God. There's nobody that can stand before God on their own righteousness. And he just made me turn from self-righteousness to a faith righteousness. And it's radically changed my life. Well, that brings up a good question. And if performance, self-righteousness doesn't affect our acceptance relationship with God on his part, then what is the purpose of the law? I mean, what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? I hear that often. Kyle, what about the Ten Commandments? I think there's multiple uh, purposes. One of them is people have a tendency to compare themselves among themselves and measure themselves by themselves, is what Paul said, and that's not wise. And so people basically look at the standards that uh, society puts down as this is moral. And they say, well, I'm, I'm as good as this person over here. You know, the classic example is the Pharisee that says, I thank you. I'm not like this publican. 
I fast twice in the week. The only thing is that publican wasn't God's standard. People will say if the hypocrites at church, I'm going to make it. But the hypocrites at church may not make it. You aren't supposed to compare yourself with other people, but people do this. And because of it, they think, well, I'm okay because I'm better than this person. So one of the purposes of the law was to say, you think you're good enough? Let me show you why I demand. And God gave a standard that was so impossible to meet that it made us say, oh, God, if this is what you demand, have mercy on me. So one of the purposes of the law was to show us our sinfulness and make sin come alive is what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 19. And it was to show us that we cannot relate to God based on our own own goodness. Somehow religion has totally inverted this and made it. No, the laws were given so that you could keep and earn relationship with God. It's impossible. Nobody's ever going to have relationship with God through keeping the law. The law was given to show us our sin. But then also, if a person does want to know, God, everybody in my business lies about their product in order to be able to sell it. So is that okay or not? It still shows you, no, that's not okay. False witness is not God's way. So it has multiple purposes. We still need to know what God's standard is, but we don't need to think that we have to keep it in order to have a relationship with God. Or you'd have to burn all of the moles off your body because that's part of chapter 20. If you have a mole, you've got a blemish. If you're left-handed, you've got a blemish. If you got a flat nose or a crooked back, you're blemished. Does God want us to start wearing braces and make us stand up straight and burn the moles off and start using our right hand instead of our left hand? No, that's not the purpose of the law. But if you want to know what perfection is, <laughs> that was the way that God made man to be. And otherwise, why did Jesus have to come? I mean, if it was possible for us to live up to that standard of the law, then what was the purpose of Christ? That's a great point. When someone then sins as a Christian, because we do, what does a Christian do? I think a lot of us, we go to God in, in condemnation and, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. Please, will you forgive me? What's the proper approach when you mess up? Now, let me give you an example about my sister. She was a spirit-filled lady, saw a woman raised from the dead in the backseat of her car once. So she, she was a believer trusted in God, but she had a daughter that was demon-possessed, and I mean, would try the faith of any saint. And uh, my sister was cooking supper for her husband and a professor coming home from the college, and she was busy, and the daughter was in there just ragging on her and saying things and letting her have it, and she lost her temper and hauled off and hit her and knocked her daughter on the ground. So my sister ran upstairs, threw herself across the bed, and she says, oh, Lord, you've got to help me. If I start crying, I won't come out of here until tomorrow morning. I've got these things I've got to do. How do I deal with what I've just done? And the Lord spoke to her and said, Joyce, when you were eight years old and asked me to forgive you of your sins, I knew you were going to do this. I've already paid for it. And so it's not, it hasn't changed our relationship. You're forgiven. Just go down and ask your daughter to forgive you. So she went down and asked her daughter to forgive her and went ahead. Now, that didn't encourage her to go slap her daughter again. But what it did, it broke the dominion of that sin. And so sin 
has already been paid for. And when we sin, Kyle, it's not something new. The Lord forgave us of all past, present, and even sins we haven't committed yet. Such a crucial point. Past, present, and future sins. I know some people take issue with that for some reason. Well, if I could verify, I mean, if I had time, I could verify that out of Hebrews chapter 9. Five times it contrasts the way it's done under the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. And five times it says once. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. You have been sanctified and perfected forever. If you understand that, that doesn't encourage you to go sin, but it makes you so thankful to see the way that God loves us so much. We are so undeserving of any of his goodness that once a person truly understands grace and the price that was paid to forgive us, they will serve God more accidentally than they ever have on purpose before because of grace. There's a scripture in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, that says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. And then verse 12 says it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly and righteously in this present generation. True grace does not encourage sin, but it delivers us from the guilt and the condemnation of sin. Such a crucial point. So what you're saying here is when we make a mistake, it's not about going to God wondering, will he forgive me again this time? But it's really going to him in thankfulness of the forgiveness he's already provided and renewing our minds then according to the righteousness of who we are in him and then moving on from that. Absolutely. Hebrews 9.14 says that uh, how much more shall the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, purge our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. And so we become defiled when we sin. I've got a book entitled, Who Told You That You Were Naked? Hmm. And people write in and say, I want that book on how to be naked. <laughs> it's really not <laughs> Didn't get the right point there. <laughs> It's a quotation from Genesis 3.11 where God told Adam when Adam said, I hid myself because I was naked. And he said, who told you that you were naked? The very fact that God asked the question shows you that God isn't the one that told him. And there isn't any indication that Satan told him. It was his conscience, that tree of knowledge of good and evil. He got this sense of right and wrong and this self-condemnation would fail that standard. And so... We have to purge ourselves from these dead works, from these sinful thoughts and stuff. And the blood of Jesus Christ is what does it. So sin, I, I hate sin, and I still fight against sin. And as much as I can, I live as holy as I can. But when I blow it, I know that God doesn't love me because I've done everything right. He loves me because he is love, not because I'm lovely. And I just stay strong in that grace that he's given me. So in today's world... You know, there's all kinds of things happening that people are questioning what is going on. I mean, between the politics to the pandemic to all the storms. And some people will say that's the wrath and the judgment of God. But how do you view that then in everything going on according to the grace of God? I believe that God placed his wrath upon Jesus. And there's a huge difference between the new covenant where Jesus became sin for us and bore our sins and the old covenant where you see the wrath of God poured out on people. I used to actually say this, Kyle, uh, before I had this experience with the Lord. I used to say, if God doesn't judge America, 
he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah because hmm. we've become that bad. Now I say that if God does judge America, he'll have to apologize to Jesus. Hmm. So it's not God judging America. It's Satan just unleashed because we yielded to it. I'd love to get into a couple viewer questions here as we start to wrap this up, Andrew. Cheryl from Jacksonville, Florida, a future Kara student, actually, she says, I battle feeling guilty when I'm unproductive. What do I do, Andrew? First of all, you got to quit looking at what makes you have self-worth as what you do. It's who you know. You're a human being, not a human doing. Mm. And we need to find our complete uh, identity in Christ and in the fact that he loves us. And that way, if like John the Baptist or the Apostle Paul and you're shut up in prison and you can't minister to anybody, you could still just be basking in the presence of God like Paul did and sang praises at midnight in the midst of a dungeon when he wasn't doing anything. We have to find our identity in Christ and that's then nothing can affect that. You can't be depressed, discouraged, despondent in the yeah. presence of the Lord. There is fullness of joy. And then... All of the works, the actions come as a byproduct of a relationship with God, not a means to. Perfect. Keith, St. Louis, Missouri. This is a good one. Following a grace message, I know people who suddenly believe there's no hell and that everyone goes to heaven. What's the balance, Andrew? Well, there is a hell. The Bible teaches it. And people try and get around this by saying everything that Jesus said about, you know, the rich man who was in hell and lifted up his eyes and stuff. They say that wasn't New Testament. And Jesus hadn't died and made the atonement yet. And they just, in order to believe that there is no hell, you have to reject huge amounts. Of mm-hmm. And that just doesn't apply. You just have to base it on the word of God. Here's the way I look at it. Some people say he's given our sins. First John chapter two, verse two, he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, that's true. Jesus died for Adolf Hitler as much as he died for me, but it says you're saved by grace through faith. It's not only what God has done, you have to respond in faith and accept it. And unless you put faith in what Jesus did, that atonement doesn't work for you. You have to put faith in it. So it's through grace, through faith. And so those who haven't accepted Jesus, whether they just ignored him or if they had totally rejected. I think that the real thing that sends people to hell is not their individual actions, but the rejection of Jesus. And if you look at it that way, then it doesn't matter if you're a soccer mom who's lived a relatively life, a good life, or if you're a mass murderer, if you reject Jesus and reject so great a salvation, there isn't a hell deep enough or an eternity long enough to punish a person who would reject such a great salvation. So that's what's going to send people to hell is a rejection of Jesus, just their individual actions. Wow. Now, I know there are some of you listening who have just been awakened to the reality that your relationship with God is really based on performance. You've been trying to get God to love you, bless you, or accept you, instead of just resting in the truth that because of Jesus, he already does. You know, I talk a lot about overcoming spiritual battles in this ministry, and I can tell you from experience, 
that the greatest way to overcome them is to really understand grace. Because when you know God loves you, even despite what seems unlovely about you, then the enemy has nothing to stand on. His accusations and lies literally can roll off your back because you know they are meaningless. Well, Andrew and I want to help you get to that place of freedom. That's why we've put together an exclusive package of two of Andrew's books. The first one was the basis of our conversation today. It's Grace, the Power of the Gospel. In this book, you'll go with Andrew through the book of Romans to discover grace at a depth you never have. The second book is really the foundation of grace and the foundation of joy, peace, and anything good in your life. It's the true nature of God. This book will help you make sense of the God in the Old Testament who sometimes seems angry and the God in the New Testament who Jesus demonstrates with love. These messages radically changed me, and I know they're going to do the same for you, which is why I brought you this conversation and I bring you these resources. So this two-book package is available for a limited time on my website at kylewinkler.org Andrew. That's kylewinkler.org Andrew. While supplies last, we'll ship these two books right out to you so that you will begin to experience the freedom and joy that comes with living in grace. So get the package now, kylewinkler.org Andrew. And while you're at it, couple the books with my new book, Shut Up Devil. It takes the message of God's grace and helps you apply it to win your battles today. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you. And we're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org, on our podcast, and wherever you get your social media. And wherever you're watching or listening, be sure to tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.